Hey, SEC fans, today's show is sponsored by Homefield. Homefield makes the most comfortable vintage college apparel. There's 90 plus schools available, and they're adding schools all the time. Coming up this weekend, Homefield plans to release some Mizzou gear. If you're a Mizzou fan, check out homefieldapparel.com where they'll have some fresh Mizzou gear this weekend. Show some school spirit for your favorite teams or alma mater. Go to homefieldapparel.com and use code SEC for 25% off your first purchase. College football is back. That's homefieldapparel.com and use code SEC for 20% off your first purchase today. Hello and welcome to the Wednesday edition of Football and Grits. I'm your host, David Ubbin here. With my co-host, you'll hear him every Wednesday, Josh Kendall. You can see him on The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at uh, Josh the Athletic. Uh, Josh, you've covered the SEC a long time. You cover South Carolina for us. Appreciate you coming on. Uh, we're very, very close to football. How are you feeling uh, a couple days away from actual real-life football that uh, I'm sure, like me, you were not sure was going to ever arrive in 2020? I'm super excited, but I'm also super nervous. I've seen no indications in Columbia, South Carolina, that we're not going to make it to Saturday in a football game. But in 2020, I am unwilling to take anything for granted. So I will be even more excited Saturday at 7:31 or 7:32 or whenever the TV <laughs> networks tell us somebody can kick the ball off. Yeah, you know, every week is a week-to-week deal. I am planning on being there in Columbia for that game, but, uh, you know, that game, in addition to every game that we're able to, to book travel for this year, uh, all of my reservations are going to be uh, refundable. So we'll see. We'll see how this year goes. Uh, well, obviously, we cover two programs that are playing one of the biggest games in the SEC this week, Tennessee and South Carolina, so we figured, hey, we should probably dig into that. Auburn and Kentucky, the other big game this week. But when you look at these two teams and where they enter in right now, it feels like Tennessee has more to gain. I think people around Rocky Top, they want to believe. And if the Vols win, that's that's a little bit of a springboard for them. you, you got to take care of business at home against Missouri a week later. But beating South Carolina, reality or not, it does sort of validate the win streak at the end of last year. And and sort of brightens up everything. Everything looks a little better when you're one and zero, as opposed to zero and one, where Tennessee has been in each of the last two seasons. You lose. There's a lot of built-in excuses for Tennessee surrounding their issues in preseason camp. They've had so many guys out with contact tracing, um, and, it, and it would make plenty of people folks brace for disappointment in 2020. Even if big picture, they're still optimistic. That said, things change in a hurry. Plenty of Vols fans ready to hit the eject button on this whole deal at 1-4 and four last year. But seven games, uh, 11 months something later, everyone's eyeing an eventual run at the SEC East uh, for the first time since 2007. Next year, sort of building to where Tennessee feels like maybe that can be their year. But Josh, this is where we get to you. On South Carolina's side, it feels like they're waiting for that first loss to validate the must-champ doubt and turn the page or something along those lines, at least from the fan base perspective. If they lose, that's a big piece, but it feels like if they win, I don't know how much that changes for them big picture. you got to kind of stack wins if you're South Carolina to really get get folks back that are out on must-champ. What do you make of that idea? Is that about where you see where South Carolina is going into this game? 
Well, certainly this fan base is to the prove-it stage with Will Muschamp. He lost the, any benefit of the doubt he had at 4-8 and eight last year. So now he's got to win people back. Where we saw a Tennessee team that left last year feeling good about itself, we saw a South Carolina team that frankly could not wait for the season to be over, and it was evident. They had lost all of their confidence, whatever mojo is, they had lost every bit of that, and they were just a bad football team. But to be a South Carolina fan is, you know, for more than a century, never to give up hope that next year is going to be a little bit better. So now what you do in the preseason is you build your optimism. And so this year you build it on Mike Bobo. We finally got the offensive coordinator, et cetera, et cetera. You're right that this team can't, it's not going to win anybody back in a week. But they've got to start some. Yeah, Mm -hmm. they've got to start somewhere. This is step one. This is a winnable game. But at the same time, you know, for South Carolina, this this South Carolina can't roll their helmets out there and beat anybody. They're gonna have to, but they're gonna have to play well to beat Tennessee. But if they can do that, Tennessee's good enough that that can be a step that they can try to build on that the following week. This team just needs a win. I mean, this was it was not. They didn't have any fun playing football last year. They're hoping to at least do that this year. Yeah, uh, Eric Gray gave a shout-out to uh, Sandstorm this week, even though he said, you know, they're, they're going to be loud. They're going to have, what, 20,000, something along those lines. Uh, I appreciated the, the respect for Sandstorm, one of the more underrated SEC traditions, I must say. And they, uh, had, and they just <laughs> made it up out of whole cloth. I mean, they just, you know, <laughs> threw it on the rotation, and everybody went crazy, and they stuck with it. So It's yeah, like it Virginia Tech and, and Enter Sandman. It was waiting for somebody to claim it. Uh, Sandstorm, an elite an elite uh, pump-up song and uh, in South Carolina. Props to them. Getting into what happens on Saturday, you know, obviously the quarterback uh, situation surprised a decent amount of people around the SEC. But what did you make of, of Colin Hill beating out uh, Ryan Helinski uh, for that job? I wasn't surprised, and I don't think anybody in South Carolina was super surprised based on what we had heard since July when Colin Hill arrived. Clearly, he came in with four years of experience in Mike Bobo's offense, so he had that in his pocket right away. And Ryan Holinsky didn't play well at the end of last year. And by the end of last year, you know, he had, to, he had some stuff he had to mend with his coaches and teammates in terms of the way he handled some things. And he has done that, and I think he's made progress, and he's become a better quarterback, a better fundamental quarterback. And if they end up playing Ryan Helensky this year, they'll feel better about it than they did last year. But this job was there for somebody to take, and I think Colin Hill came in here, and despite everything that they've said publicly, I don't think it was a super hard decision for Will Muschamp and Mike Bobo at the end of the day. They like mm-hmm. Colin Hill. What do you make of of, of long term? I mean, I think when South Carolina got him, the idea was like, "This is your guy." Maybe it's sooner or later. Do you feel like big picture there are some concerns that maybe Helinski's not that guy? Big picture. Again, this is a recurring theme in South Carolina football. There's always this guy who's gonna save us. Yeah, Ryan Helinski for a month and a half maybe was that guy. He was gonna be the guy. And if you rewind the clock, before. When Jake Bentley finished the North Carolina game, before we knew he had suffered a season-ending injury in that game, everybody was ready to go to Ryan Helensky anyway. And frankly, 65% of this fan base was happy to hear that Jake Bentley was going to miss the rest of the year after the first game of 2019. And they and South Carolina fans felt very validated for about three weeks. And then it went bad. Then it went worse. 
and it just never got any better. So now South Carolina fans have got a commit from a 2022 five-star named Gunnar Stockton, who comes from kind of the Connor Shaw tree. Connor it's an elite Shaw, quarterback name, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, yes. But, but in Columbia, you know, if you have any whiff of Connor Shaw on you, you are pre-deity. You're just, you're just waiting to be. So, and they love Luke Doty, who's a freshman they've got on campus. I mean, it, it feels this is so totally unfair, and maybe it won't play out this way, but frankly, it feels in Columbia like the Ryan Helensky era has passed. They like Colin Hill. If he stays healthy in all ways, I think he'll be their starting quarterback the rest of the year. They like Luke Doty, the freshman, and they think that Gunnar Stockton, you know, as you point out, the fantastically named Gunnar Stockton is going to roll in here in 2022 and win five SEC East titles in four years. That that kind of <laughs> thing. So that's just that's just where we are. You know, you are the hot guy one minute, and you're kind of forgotten the next. So Ryan Helensky is is on the back end of that perception wise, and is going to have to play his way out of that, or as we know, could always end up somewhere else. Life comes at you fast. That sounds a lot like the arc of uh, Jarek Garantano, the heir apparent to Josh Dobbs, who now he's held on to the job. He's been that guy, but he has not been, you know, the the you know otherworldly guy that Josh Dobbs was that the Tennessee fans wanted him to be. He's listed as a dual threat, as a run as much as people thought he might, and the frustration's there. Uh, I think you look around Tennessee, you know, the fans are a little nervous. Jeremy Pruitt, perhaps strategically, um, you know, has talked about the issues in preseason camp. You know, they're, you know, again, missing 40-some guys. But they expect to have everyone for this game for now. They're going to keep things simple, I'm sure. Uh, last year, Tennessee wins by 20, but they also scored two non-offensive touchdowns. I expect Tennessee to win, but barring big plays or somebody wins the turnover battle, you know, 5-1, something like that, it'll be close. Tennessee was the better team last year, but they also, you know, won that game with a really experienced, you know, JT Shot got thrown in there after Jared Carantano broke a bone in his wrist. For you from South Carolina's side of things, what decides whether or not South Carolina holds court here and, and, uh, and starts the season off 1-0? What do they got to do to do that? Mike Bobo decides it, I think. I think the defense will be what the defense has been under Will Muschamp and Traveris Robinson for four years, which is pretty good. Not the problem. Good enough to win if you can score some points, but not going to win any games for you. That puts it back on the offense, which has been, you know, the anchor around Will Muschamp's neck for eight years in the SEC now, going back to his days at Florida. Mike Bobo is a guy who comes in with a track record. He comes in here with a sort of a no-nonsense attitude. And his entire, you know, his marching orders have been to make this offense good, but also give it some confidence. I mean, it's hard to explain unless you watched it as a South Carolina fan and just completely crumble all through the year last year, kind of where this offense was when the season was over. They had their building from the ground up in terms of their offense or in terms of their confidence and their ability to move the ball. I think Mike Bobo is a really good offensive coach can he get it done with this roster I don't know they say they've got confidence they say they feel really good about things behind the scenes from people I trust I hear that this looks like an offense now that the play calls look like they have a plan that you know there's a strategy there's an ability to adjust where there maybe there wasn't last year all that'll help but you've still got to have a lot of unproven offensive players play well to score some points and I, I feel like that confidence 
is real, but it's probably really thin. So this team needs some success early. They need to feel good about themselves. If they can move the ball and score some points, you know, I think they've got a shot to win this game. But, you know, there's a chance that Saturday, going into Sunday morning, South Carolina fans are feeling really miserable about things. Yeah, I think from Tennessee's perspective, they, they got to avoid the silly stuff. You know, last year, I think it was the first or second offensive snap of the game. You, Jerry Garantano throws a little bubble screen, and it's low, and it turns they turn the ball over. Georgia State's got it. It was a little early, you know, as a 26-point favorite to set off the alarm bells last year, but, but you know, re-watching that game and thinking about that game, obviously, that was not how you wanted to start. First offensive snap against West Virginia two years ago, you know, they missed a block in the front. Jared Garantano takes one step back and gets blasted. Some of these early stuff they, they got to try to avoid. Uh, keep the big plays away on defense. You know, they were really good at that last year. They only allowed 10 plays longer than 30 yards. That's the best of anyone in the country last year uh, in that statistic. If they can keep doing that, make South Carolina's offense work their way down the field, I think they'll be in good shape. Um, but I think if Tennessee can do those things, I mean, Tennessee just has to play okay and they'll be able to win that game and they, if they don't do silly stuff. But um, it's going to be it's gonna be fascinating. I, it's going to be weird. You know, for me especially, just as a college football a fan of the sport, watching games and sort of getting this weird dip-your-toe-in-the-water thing the last three weeks where you have, like, some FCS games, you have some low-level FBS games, and then last week the ACC gets in the mix, but there's games canceled. It's weird that there's college football happening, and it, the season hasn't really started for, for you and I, and now we're here. What are you looking forward to most on Saturday? Again, I'm just looking forward to kickoff, frankly. I just want to I, I see this happen. I, I have been amazed, and as I'm sure you have from your perspective, at what the people behind the scenes who nobody knows about have done to get us to this point, the support staffs of these teams, the hoops that these players and coaches and support staffs are jumping through on a daily basis to kind of keep this train moving forward at whatever pace it is, are pretty daunting, and it's pretty impressive that they've gotten us this far. I'll be really happy if they play a football game on Saturday night, and I'll worry about the rest of it, you know, Sunday come Sunday morning, we'll we'll get to fire and we'll must champ down the road. <laughs> I just want I just want somebody to play a football game on Saturday night. Josh, thanks for joining us again. Josh, the athletic, you can see him, uh, see his stuff at the athletic, my stuff at the athletic as well. You can follow him on Twitter. At Josh the Athletic, I am David Ubbin, your host. You'll can you'll hear us every single Wednesday here on Football and Grits. Uh, we're gonna move on to a, another segment with uh, Seth Emerson, talking a little bit of Georgia quarterbacks here in a little bit. But Josh, thanks for joining us. See you again next Wednesday. Thanks for having me. Can't wait. Back to the show in just a minute, but first, talking about erectile dysfunction is not easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like, I lost my mojo, or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it's easy to talk about it. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. 
With Roman, you can get free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. A healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to roman.com grits and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today and connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash grits today. If you approved, you'll get $15 off your first ED treatment. That's GetRoman.com slash grits. GetRoman.com slash grits. We now go to our Georgia beat writer at The Athletic, Seth Emerson. Uh, nobody's got a better beat on the dogs than Seth. Um, Seth, we, we wanted to talk about the Georgia quarterback situation. I, I would venture to say it's the most interesting position battle in the entire conference. Uh, so let's kind of start with how we got here. You know, Tennessee, they obviously lose. Jake Fromm tumbles down the draft board a little bit, but Jamie Newman transfers in from Wake Forest. Eventually they later add JT Daniels, who follows him from USC. He's given immediate eligibility. The hype train kind of started rolling a little bit on Jamie Newman, but he elects to opt out in the middle of camp. Before we get into the current battle, how would you describe the reaction inside Georgia's program to Newman saying, thanks, but no thanks, Uh, I'll see you guys in the NFL? Pretty stunned at the time, within the program, outside the program. I mean, when preseason started, Kirby was asked if they had anybody considering any opt-outs, and he said, no, nobody's even come forward with it. But you know, since then, there's been a trickle of information, including that like they think that Newman may have been thinking about it uh, over the summer, over the spring. The thing you have to remember when you put it in context is Newman wasn't here long enough to really develop special bonds, friendships, relationships, the kind of stuff that would keep him at Georgia. Like Monty Rice, an inside linebacker who's got a very like social justice bent and a guy who could he picked in the draft and maybe a mid-round he, he might have been a candidate to opt out but he was asked about it Tuesday or Monday and he said no I wanted to be with my teammates I want to be with my friends Newman never really had that so now how much of it had to do with concerns about COVID how much of it had to do with concerns about whether his stock would drop if he lost the job if he didn't play well uh, did an agent get to him it's still murky to be honest Um, it just is the kind of thing that I'm not sure that if he changed his mind and walked back out on that field, that he would be met with rose petals and stuff. Um, I think he kind of made his decision and, and people probably still aren't happy with it, but he made his decision. Yeah. I think for better or worse, from my perspective, you know, I watched a lot of college football. I was very familiar with Jamie Newman, loved him at Wake Forest. I think in my mind, you know, it felt like Georgia's stock went down a little bit when he left, but maybe we're all wrong. You know, we'll see. I think the biggest thing with Daniels and and, uh, Dewan Mathis is they're both unknown entities. But people know a little bit more about Daniels. You know, when he left USC, you know, a lot of folks across the SEC, their ears kind of perked up. You know, Tennessee was a little bit interested in him and... and, uh, but, but people know a little bit more about him than Dewan Mathis, the redshirt freshman, um, relatively highly rated four-star quarterback uh, recruited Georgia, kind of what had to wait a year for, for his shot to, to compete. But it felt like the whole conversation, most of the offseason, was Daniels and Newman, and now there's Mathis here. Now it's Mathis and Daniels. What is the difference between those two guys uh, for, for Georgia? 
Daniels as a player is a lot more like Jake Fromm. He's going to do it a lot more with guts and guile. He's, he's a film rat. He's a guy who's always thinking about football, reading defenses and everything. And, you know, he had a little, in some rough spots his freshman year at USC, but um, he's, he's that kind of guy. He's not, he, he's not tall. He doesn't have the five-star arm. Mathis has this, like he, he's, you want to say Justin Fields skill set cause he's dual threat, but he's bigger, but not as actual like girth wise. He's not as big. Um, he's taller, but not as big. Um, as far as his arm, probably, you know, about even, but he also, David may give them a little bit of best of both worlds. He gives them the dual threat quarterback. They, they lost when fields didn't stick around, but he also has Fromm's intangibles. His, what Dwan Mathis went through with the brain cyst, uh, a summer ago, he had been at Georgia for a semester, enrolled early, spring practice, et cetera. He gets this brain cyst. He's in the hospital for a couple of days with brain surgery, comes back out. He was never cleared until this past May, uh, but he was at least practicing. He, he engendered, from what I've heard, a lot of respect in the locker room for sticking it out. Um, just a, a lot of people admire what he's been able to do. And, you know, he's got pretty good leadership abilities. And the one time we talked to him after the Sugar Bowl, you know, you just, it was the first time I'd, I'd never talked to him during recruiting, but it was the first time talking to him. The way he talked about his brain surgery, the way he outlined like everything in just a couple minutes talking to him, you're like, huh, pretty sharp kid. So it, I, I'm not saying that this guy's going to be this, the next great Georgia quarterback. I don't want to put that much on him, but there, there is that potential. You, you see, like I said, the potential to have that skill set of Justin Fields and that intangibles and supporting the locker room that Jake Fromm had. And uh, I think Georgia fans would love to put that combination together. Mm -hmm. So Justin Fields 2.0, that's what I'm hearing, Seth. (laughs) I'd encourage people to read. (laughs) You said it. I'd encourage people to read your your piece in The Athletic this week. You you wrote some notes from – uh, from Georgia's camp, and in that you wrote, you know, Mathis has taken the majority of the first team reps, which sort of begs the question: Why? Why is he taking those reps right now over uh, JT Daniels? Because he will be the starting quarterback against Arkansas, um, unless you know. Look, we're recording this before Tuesday's practice. Maybe something happened Monday. I've said all along: Look, look, it's clearly that's the plan. Kirby's remaining coy about it. Players are as usual, being told not to comment on the quarterbacks, hardly even like acknowledge that the quarterback position exists, you know. Um, but everything we've heard is Mathis has been getting the first team reps. And I think it's a combination of JT Daniels hasn't been cleared yet medically, um, which he's a year out from the ACL, which normally that would mean that he'd be ready to go, but it, it it's just not, he's not cleared to take hits in a game yet. So number one, you can't give all these first team reps and prepare for this guy to be your starter. And then on Friday find out, yeah, I know you were counting on him being cleared, but he's not. And then all of a sudden you wasted reps on a guy. But number two, I think they really like Mathis. I, I, I think they really like a lot of the things that he brings to the table to connect it back to Jamie Newman. When Jamie Newman opted out, he did it at a point where, you know, Kirby and Munkin were, preparing during the offseason for him to be their starter. And you got to imagine they had a lot of plays, packages wanted to use that were contingent on having a dual threat guy. And they lost that with Newman. 
But then you look over and Dwan Mathis can run a lot of those plays. And so it, it starts to add up. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a big believer in Todd Munkin. I covered him at Oklahoma State. Uh, I think that was his last stop in college before going to the NFL. Uh, he's at Southern, Southern Miss, Miss as well, yeah. But he wasn't like the – he put he organized the offense, but he wasn't the pro play caller per se. But it was his offense. Yeah, I'm, I'm a believer in him. I, I thought he did some really great things with um, guys that have not had a ton of success at the NFL level, um, which I think speaks to, to what he can do. What are your expectations for Georgia's offense in 2020? Man, um, I mean, it's it's so hard because, David, we, we haven't seen them in person. We haven't seen them in spring practice. Uh, they've been obviously practicing over the summer and preseason, but I haven't gone there and laid eyes on them. When I go to Arkansas on Saturday and cover that game in person with my eyes only, it's going to be the first time I have laid eyes on this team since the night of the Sugar Bowl. It's been that long. So, and I know that we don't get to see a lot of practice, but when we get to see practice back in the old days before coronavirus and, and limited everything being done via Zoom, um, you at least could see s- snippets of things in practice where you could get an idea. Look, enough stuff has leaked out. You've gotten enough indications from people that, yeah, it, it's going to be different. They're going to be a little more wide open. And I, they wanted to go that direction before they hired Todd Munkin anyway. They realized that they needed to do that. I think the important thing with Munkin is not so much whether a play is run or pass. It's whether it's a good play or a bad play. I don't know if they're going to come out here and looking like LSU and Alabama from the last few years. They might. I don't know if it'll be that I don't, it, as so much as this is the right time to call this play. This is What they need to do is they need to expand the field to create space for their playmakers because they got a lot of playmakers and maybe they can still look like the Georgia offense of old on some plays and hand the ball to Zamir white and have him run up the gut. But in the past, there wasn't much room up the gut because the other team thought it was coming. If you can get the defense to be worried about the passing game and kind of, you know, be on their heels, then those Zamir white runs up the middle are going to be a lot more effective. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, Seth, before we let you go, you've covered Sam Pittman for quite a while as, as uh, Georgia's offensive line coach. What should Arkansas fans expect from a Pittman team? Yeah, I mean, whenever you're taking a position coach and making him a head coach, you never know whether it's going to work as a head coach. So whether it's going to work as wins or losses, who knows? I mean, <laughs> who knows? But, man, this is a guy who players love him. They come to play for him. He recruited – so well at Georgia because he just formed these great relationships. His offensive lines were, were very good. I mean, he was probably a little bit better recruiter than he was an actual technician coach, but that's more a comment on how good a recruiter he was than a coach. He's a guy who worked for Kirby for four years. He worked for Bielema. He worked for um, like when, when Georgia was having a rough first year and Kirby and Sam Pittman's first year and the O-line was part of the problem unsolicited Butch Davis emailed me and said, you're going to be fine. Georgia's going to be fine on the offensive line because Sam Pittman is that good a coach. And there was no reason for Butch Davis to say that. This was Butch Davis, by the way, David, not Butch Jones. Butch Davis. <laughs> Butch Davis, one-time uh, Arkansas coach candidate, uh, Springdale, Arkansas. Never. We're from, the same, uh, from yeah. the same neck of the woods. Yeah, probably along with Bob Scoop. Um, that's a Jason Kersey joke, uh, if he's hearing this. But but yeah, you know, and, and Davis is now back in it, I guess, at FIU. But um, he was out of football. He just, you know, it, but Sam Pittman engenders those kind of relationships. Even Brett Bielema, who took a shot at Pittman out the door, was someone who spoke to me for a story I did about Sam Pittman, this glowing 
fluff piece I did on him two years ago. But I mean, you can't help but do fluff pieces. Now, does being a great guy and a beloved guy make you a great coach? Not necessarily, but they did get in Arkansas a guy that knows the terrain because that's where he was before he went to Georgia, and he's, he can recruit. It's just a matter of, you know, is he going to put together a good staff? Is he going to be able to recruit well to Arkansas um, and go from there? Mm-hmm. Well, Seth, thanks for stopping by. That's another episode of Football and Grits. I'll be with you tomorrow with Mitch Light. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Subscribe uh, wherever you get your podcasts. You can hear us ad-free uh, on the Athletic app. But we are uh, free of charge on every podcast platform. Wherever you want to listen to us, you can find us. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you guys again tomorrow.